Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So it's uh, great to be back in uh, Al Huda. I want to first thank, uh, of course, uh, Zaid Imran and the, the whole uh, Al Huda family and the board for always yani, hooking us up, mashallah, and uh, looking after us. And I'd like to thank the brothers and the sisters who are um, who are here present, which, to be honest, is at a very unsocial time for you guys. But we have to try and keep the, you know, keep the actual time of the uh, the class. But. Uh, uh, of course, those people who find it yani, a little bit difficult and from a timing point of view, then uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem, uh, especially with the fact that you can get the recorded uh, version afterwards as well. So um, for you guys, I mean, most of you will be helping students. For those, obviously, when we do a roadshow, we always mention um, a few things about the class for non-helping students. Of course, this is a fiqh class. Uh, it is essentially a humbly fiqh class in that the text itself that we are covering or the manual is a uh, a text on Islamic law as understood by the humbly school by the founder Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal and the text is called Zad al-Mustaqni' and the author has written it and then the commentary has been written to it by a scholar called Sheikh al-Uthameen and then I give commentary to that commentary so I will explain what Sheikh al-Uthameen means which therefore means I'm explaining what the text means but also then adding other stuff as well because i know that there are folks who don't understand what we're doing does that make the final conclusion a humbly conclusion no we give uh whatever conclusion the people want if they are following a specific then we will give that to them but then we will share what is the class position and then that's what will obviously uh, go that will be the operative position so what are we now in uh, at the beginning of year six obviously all of the uh, uh, all of the content is there on the portal. Everything is there for the uh, pr uh, previous five years. This material now is the beginning of year six. We are in Kitab al-Salah, which is the, the book of prayer. And we are in the subchapter of Shurut al-Salah, which is the conditions of the prayer, which we formally started last week. Okay, which we formally started last week. Um, what did we say last week? We said, وَمِنْهَا إِجْتِنَابُ najasat. I will read the Arabic, then I will read the translation. From an Hamal and Ajasitan, La Yurba Anha, Aula Kaha, Bisaubihi, or Badinihi, Lampa Sah Salatu, Wa in Tayyana Arda Najisa, or Farsha Hatahir and Kuriha was Sahat. So that was yesterday's or last week's uh, uh, text. That is translated as the conditions of the prayer include avoiding filth. So we've done so many of the conditions of the prayer, and this is now following the, uh, the condition of the Aura. And the subsection on the Aura was huge. It was the, the, the last half of last year, so early 2017. I advise you to go and check it out if you are interested in the matters to do with clothing, male and female, the minimum, the maximum, and, and the idea behind maximum, quote-unquote, and then also presentation. So 
presenting uh, hairstyles, colors, clothes, colors, clothes designs, tight clothes, pictures, the, the, the issues of photography, and then makeup. And in that sense as well. So there's a lot of detail concerning that. So we finished that. And now we moved on to another chapter, which is Najasad. Of course, we spent three years on purification. That is to do with the Najasa in general, that is to do with purification in terms of wudu. But now we are talking about Najasa with respect to the prayer and its impact upon the prayer itself. And so what did we uh, do uh, last week? The conditions of prayer include avoiding filth. So if one carries filth, which is of a significant nature, or allows his body or garment to come in contact with filth, his prayer is invalid. We covered that last week, as done. If the floor is filthy, but covered with layers of earth, or something pure is placed over it, the prayer is disliked, but remains valid. That is what we're going to cover uh, or complete today. We just kind of introduced that yesterday. But also what we're going to cover as well is the following statement. وَإِن كَانَتْ بِطَرْفِ مُتَصِلٍ وَمَنْ رَأَى عَلَيْهِ نَجَاسَةً بَعَدِ صَلَاتِهِ وَجَهِلَ كَوْنَهَا فِيهَا لَمْ يُعِدْ وَإِنْ عَلِمَ أَنَّهَا كَانَتْ فِيهَا لَكِنْ نَسِيَهَا أَوْ جَهِلَهَا أَعَادْ So that's what we're going to be trying to make way into today as well. What is that? If, the, if there is some filth connected to the edge of his prayer area and it cannot be dragged along with him whilst he walks, the prayer is valid. And then one more paragraph. If one observes filth on himself after the prayer, but was unaware before that it was there, then the prayer is not repeated. However, if he knew it was there and then later forgot or didn't understand it, the prayer must be repeated. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about. Yani, if you want to forget all the text in Arabic, whatever, what, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be looking at the prayer area. If there's najasa, and najasa is not dirt, najasa is filth. Okay, the jazz is not dirt, everywhere is dirty, a Muslim world is all dirty, okay, because of by your standards of, of dirt, meaning dust and mud, and dust and mud is not dirty at all, it's absolutely pure. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen it to replace water to properly purify and clean. So, what we're talking about is najasa, the feces, and you know, uh, a dog, saliva, and whatever it is, okay, uh, 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 and impure substances, which of course we covered. Or in a lot of detail. So, about where you are praying, what's the ruling? What if you're standing on it but not touching it? What is the ruling? What if you are standing on it or sitting on that najasa and you are not touching it and it's not in your immediate area but it's on a particular, uh, I don't know, uh, part of your, your prayer area or mat on the edge? What if you are holding najasa? Now, we've done, we done that last week. Holding najasa. Let me just quickly summarize. Holding najasa was referring to najasa in two manners. Okay? Holding najasa means it's on your clothes. And then that's called holding najasa because you're walking around with it and you're effectively carrying it. Okay? And the second form of carrying is actually physically carrying najasa. And if you don't understand that, what that is, then that's a urine sample. That's a feces sample. If you're taking it for an examination, going to a doctor, or if you had some other unfortunate, I don't know. Uh, actually, uh, 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 if you had pets, and you had done, do you guys do that thing here where you have to pick up your dog pieces? Yeah. So you'd be carrying the bag, for example. And then I gave the modern day application. The modern day application is, is mothers with children. 
mothers with children are not allowed to carry their children with their nakis full because that is effectively carrying najasa. It's the same thing as carrying feces. I mean, a child, uh, politically incorrect, but is a bag of najasa if they are three years old. Okay? Because we are looking at it through at the children in the lens of najasa and tahara and not humanity. Sah? No time for humanity in Fakhrul. <laughs> so, so the issue there is, and we've covered that, we've said that you're not allowed to carry najasa on your body. Now, when we talk about carrying najasa in today's lesson, it's going to be a weird one. It's going to be carrying and pulling najasa. Imagine that you're holding it and you are connected to it, najasa, and I'll explain how that works or how it used to happen in the prayer. And then, hopefully, we're going to close off with discussing the issue of uh, najasa being on your clothes whilst you're praying and you realizing that afterwards. What are the rulings? Do you need to repeat the prayer once you see on your clothes that you've got Najasa? That's what we're going to be covering, okay? So let's jump straight into the text then. So at the bottom, so if you've got, if you're on the portal, then you can see the text and you can see the Arabic Sharh. And if you don't, then uh, uh, then just uh, try and bear with what I am saying. So at the bottom of page 227 um, of Sharh uh, al-Mumtiyah, Sheikh says, wa says, Yani, if we have a place where the ground is actually impure, and that could be for any reason that your imagination can think, the author, the Hanbalis, what they say, if you build upon it, or you plaster it, or you concrete over it, or you tile it, then with something which is pure, then the area itself is okay to pray on. And, and, uh, they said, that if you've got that kind of area, which is, as I said, uh, and you were to put a cloth on it, or a mat on it, it would also be okay. It is disliked, but the prayer is valid. So when I say okay, I don't mean it's an okay thing to do. We're speaking, we're translating the text here. This is what the Hanbalis are saying. They're saying it is disliked to do this, because they're saying that you should try your very best to go to a clean place but if you ended up in such a place and you had to pray not a problem your prayer is disliked your action is disliked but the prayer is valid meaning you do not need to repeat the prayer that is their claim two claims have been made that it is disliked and the prayer is authentic okay or valid rather now when the humblies make a claim they're making a legal claim a legal claim requires evidence okay so let's then analyze that whether this is correct or not. First of all, they're saying that the prayer is authentic and valid. It does not need to be repeated. Well, there's no doubt that the prayer is valid. Why? Because he's not carrying Najasa. All right? He's not carrying Najasa. We said that before. His body is not being touched by Najasa. His clothes are clean from Najasa. And while he is actually on the thing that he is touching, that's also clean. It is not Najas. And so from that point of view, then, he has completed the condition that we know of the prayer, that he is not in touch with Najasa. So that's the first. Second, they said, They said, but the action that he's doing is disliked. The action itself is disliked. Why did they say it is disliked? Because he's, they said that he, Because he is depending upon or standing upon or using something which in its origin, yani original kind of nature, the prayer would not be valid upon, i.e. the najasa, which is there. I want to remind you that when we say that something is, is makruh, 
that we are making a big statement actually it's not just that you know that when we are speaking with one another we say yeah you know i don't like that or this is disliked you know we said before that in the humble school when imam ahmed said that there's discussion that when he ever used to say makroh it means haram and there is an argument of course from the quran certainly suit al-isra that when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says makruha okay then it means something haram and that is a, a discussion which varies from place to place in the sunnah and especially in fiqh and it's a very yeah, it's quite easy to ascertain that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to makruh as haram in the Quran. But when the fuqaha, the jurists in legal language and commentary are using that phrase, you need to know that particular person's vocabulary, okay? And their style and have experience with them to know what is it that they actually mean when they say such a word, okay? Most, I guess, common kind of uh, areas where you need to know that is when a, fuq a faqih, a jurist uses the word makruh, and does he mean makruh, hated, or does he mean haram? And the other one is when a muhaddis says that something is either hasan or da'if, and by da'if he means hasan, and by hasan he means sahih, or something like that. And that's why it's very important to know what that particular individual means. So anyway, in any case, makruh is a legal term. Uh, and actually, I remember that we covered the definition of this term the last time that I was uh, here, or one of the last times that I was here. يعني the one who does it, he is not punished. The one who leaves it though, will be rewarded. So again, I repeat, what is the makruh action? Makruh action is that, which if someone, he does it, a makruh action, he will not be punished for it, so he will not gain sin, but the one who leaves it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this person will be rewarded. So we know that if you are doing anything and you're doing it in the garb of religious yani worship and you want reward for it, then that's an act of worship. And an act of worship requires an evidence. Okay? They put the evidence forward and they said that uh, the reason that this act is disliked and therefore if you avoid pr praying on this area, so for example, this is, you know, imagine right here this big carpet, it's a thick carpet. This floor underneath the concrete, let's say it is doused in urine or soaked in urine. And we put this carpet on, it's thick, it's got straw matting underneath it, it's got a base and polypropylene, whatever, and then wool on top. It's not getting through. They're saying that for us to pray on this is makro. And they would say that for us to, you know, dig it all out or to build another place, we'll be rewarded for that. Now, when I put it in those terms, you can put, you can see there's a bit of stress there. It's a bit of pressure then to make the move, especially if someone you know invested a whole lot of money or whatever. So that's their argument. And and this is called ta'leel. Okay, this is their illa or this is their ta'leel, this is their reasoning. Sheikh Uthameen has a little joke. He goes, to be honest, their ta'leel is alim. He goes, he goes that uh, because, because ta'leel means reasoning, but uh, alil also means someone who's sick. He goes, so he goes that basically. Yani their reasoning itself yani is unwell, is diseased, yani it needs yani some help. So he basically criticizes it. He goes, because if we're going to say that it's not permissible to pray on something which itself is pure and is a complete barrier between you and something dirty, then how is anyone going to pray anywhere, in any time, in any place, in any country, in any house, in any building? Uh, he mentioned specifically houses where children are running around and this and that. And, and it's true. Okay. The, the reality is, you are not in contact with Najasa. So our class position, as well as Sheikh Uthameen's position, okay, our class position is that it is permissible to pray 
on najasa area as long as what you're praying on is itself clear and clean and pure and doesn't allow the najasa to come through it's not yet a paper thin doesn't allow it to come through so whether that's some concrete whether that's a mat uh janamaz musalla anything okay that's the class position all right and the prayer is valid without doubt prayer is valid and it is not disliked that is it is not disliked why because there's no clear authentic evidence to suggest so and the story then uh the sheikh then says um he goes is it possible to make a mat out of something which is not formal a mat not formally a mat like is it possible for example that you come to an area imagine you're outside and everywhere is all impure but you find a big mound of earth that and you start sprinkling it everywhere could you make your area pure as long as you're able to get enough down and make sure that it's thick enough so that it doesn't come up and that's it simple as that so even putting that in an area or sand or sawdust standard whatever is pure on an area which is not just as long as you completely you know incapacitate effectively the najasa of that area then it is permissible then for the person to pray on it the the uh, uh, uh prayer is not disliked and it is it is uh, uh uh valid okay now the next question this is really poor arabic actually and even sheikh uthameen well he doesn't say it's very poor but he goes that he needs explanation because people are going to be thinking what's going on there's 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 two things that are now being talked about First of all, your prayer area. Your prayer area, let's imagine the way you're praying. Let's give it one meter width and two meter length. We're happy with that? One meter width, two meter length. That's a pretty big prayer area, agree? Okay, that's your prayer area. Let's say that that's a carpet that you're on part of like a big carpet. So it's, just, so it's not a separate mat, okay? And that could be the floor as well. That could be a forest as well. It could be anything. So that's your prayer area. We'll take that as the first example. If there is najasa on the corner or on the side and you are not touching it, your prayer is fine. Is that clear? That's the humbling position and it's the class position as well. The second scenario that Yani uh, um, uh, uh, referring to is that imagine you now have a janamaz, musalla, prayer mat, same size or even thinner. But the corner of the prayer mat is doused in urine or you know when the children have just come and you know then a nappy or something and it's leaked in the corner likewise even though it is connected it is connected but your actual area that you're praying on is clean and therefore that prayer is permissible and that's continuing from next uh, last week as well that said that if the floor had but you know some spots of najasa uh, where you went for sajda, but your hands were not touching it, your head were not touching it, and so on and so forth, then this uh, prayer is acceptable. Now, I want to say something. In about one or two weeks' time, we're going to be discussing in detail the issue of the prayer in a toilet, and in a bathroom, and in a hammam, and in a Turkish baths, and steam rooms, and so on and so forth. And you're going to see me say something slightly different then, okay? And what I want you to just to realize right now, because I don't want to, oh, oh, you know, we, we are logically progressing, so we don't get any jump ship like this. But what I want you to recognize now 
is that the big difference about letting us pray here is because this is a normative prayer area. So I am talking about at home, I'm talking about your workplace, I'm talking about you being outside, and this is the only place you've got to pray, then this is where you would pray, even though there's spots of najasa, as long as you are not touching the najasa. Makes sense. So now we know from this piece of text, yeah, what, what was the text to remind ourselves of the actual translation, that if the floor is filthy, no, no, if there is some filth connected to the edge of his prayer area, and then the sentence we're going to cover now, and it cannot be dragged along with him whilst he walks, the prayer is valid. So the first part we've done. If the prayer area is connected to filth, or part of it's filthy, that's fine, as long as you're not touching it. Now let's look at this next line, which is a bit strange, all right? It says, and it cannot be, the filth cannot be dragged along with him whilst he walks. What's this referring to? Back in the day, people had to stop and pray. And they were having animals that themselves are impure. Such as, for example, a dog. And such as, as many scholars consider, the donkey. Okay? And other things like that. Um, and so to avoid them running off and getting lost, etc., etc., and, you know, not avoiding you guys to, you know, to pray, what they would do is they would tie a rope around it, and then it would be attached, obviously, to what is najis, and then you would be holding it, either in your hand, or tied around your wrist, or actually tied around the waist. Okay? So the idea here, then, is, so, so that's what they mean, first of all. Secondly, they've added this point, and they've said that, as long as you are unable to drag it, then your prayer is okay. But if you are able to drag it, then the prayer is not okay. So I'll give you some scenarios that Shaykh Adamin gives. He goes, so a donkey, a small dog, and then he mentions a boulder. You know what boulder is? Big boulder? Yeah? Big rock. Well, I know you know I have no confidence in your Canadian English whatsoever, yeah? <laughs> so I'm always going to check. Big rock, yeah, okay. I think you guys have a place called Boulder close, close by. It's in Colorado. And they named it because there's lots of big boulders there? <laughs> yeah. So maybe they guys have a bigger rack to boulder than we have. Not everybody <laughs> boulders. Anyway. So boulder and then, and then a small rock or a small stone. Let's assume that the donkey is Najis. We're going to assume that the dog is Najis as well. We're going to assume that the big boulder is smeared entirely in Najasa completely smeared in Najasa and the rope is around it and we're going to assume that the small rock is also smeared in Najasa. The idea here is that the prayer would not be valid if you are holding on to the big rock, uh, the, 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 the small rock and the dog. And if you were on the donkey, the idea is, is that you're not able to pull the donkey if he goes the other way, if you like, you know, because it's a hard work that is, yeah. To be honest, it's very difficult to pull a donkey. When he makes his mind up, it's not going yet. That's, yeah. That's why they say stubborn as a donkey, isn't it? They say stubborn as a donkey or stubborn as a camel? Donkey, yeah? I think stubborn as a camel as well. Angus, I don't know if camel down. But that's also true. So, anyway. And the big boulder, definitely not a problem. Because no one's, no one's moving that. Where's the idea coming from? The Hanbalis are basically saying, if you're able to pull it, then this is like it's connected to you. And if it's connected to you, it's like an extension of your soul. It's an extension of your body. So they said right at the beginning, Man najasa, yani whoever carries najasa, then his prayer is invalid. Yes? So this is their kind of istinbat, yani from that, that, that statement, that if you're able to, if you're holding on to something that you can pull, then that's something which is going to be 
uh, that's like it's like you carrying it. All right, that's their argument. Sheikh Uthameen, um, he is not impressed with this argument at all. Okay, in fact, he says. Well, uh, so is that clear in terms of what the author and the Hanbalis are going with? Okay, it's very clear what their what their argument is. The argument is is that if you are connected to Najasa and it's small, then you are one physically connected via some extension of your body. Two, because you can pull it, then it's really something that you should consider as something like you're connected to properly that you are owning, whereas something bigger is not. Sheikh Uthameen says, sahih, and this is in the middle of page 230, that in all of these scenarios, okay, the prayer is not invalidated. Neither whether you are able to pull it or whether you're not able to pull it. Whether it's small, whether it's big, the prayer is not invalidated at all. Because simply, the najasa has not touched his clothes, which is the key aspect in this in this uh, uh, in this prayer. It's what is covering him or her, and that is what is yani, the ruling is based upon, either on the body or the clothes. And the rope is something which is in between, and it has maintained that distance from me. It is not connected at all. And he, the sheikh says, neither has it connected to his clothes, and he also adds another one, which is good. He says, neither is the area, neither is the clothes, neither, neither is his body been touched by najasa. As well. And there's a need for this as well. It wasn't yani, something done out of fun. No one yani, you know, in his right mind is going to say, let me tie myself to a big yani, rock full of, yani, you know, whatever. Okay, unless he's lost his mind. And then if he's lost his mind, his prayer is okay anyway. Right? So it's not a problem. But this is, a normal, this is not a normal situation. These are people from old school. Now people don't carry their animals around with them. This is people in the desert, people who are traveling, people who are poor, etc. So there was a, a, a maslaha. There was a need, a haja, that yani, makes the issue easy. And then, even if we don't make the issue easy, legally argue. Because if, I told you guys before, yani, as a student of knowledge, and as you train yourself, you must always avoid yani, uh, resorting back to the haja darura. Haja darura. This is called lazy fiqh. Okay? This lazy fiqh of yani, everything's a need and everything, and it's difficult, it's difficult. No. What you should do, and this is what we mean by taqwa qabla al fatwa. Because when you're going for haja darura, haja darura, what you want is not fiqh. What you want is a fatwa. All right? And we say, get yourself out of the problem by fiqh. Look at the legalities and see whether there's space there. Don't change it. But yani, see and understand the issue. And that's what Sheikh Uthameen is saying. He's saying, and he was, you see him repeat this uh, thing, again, this this ayah, uh, this, uh, this maxim, again in a few minutes as well. He said that, uh, 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 Clearly, this is a mashaqqa or a difficulty which can't be a, a, a avoided. He goes, when I see him, if a bit of sabbat, he goes, especially back in the day, we need yeah, some space on. Um, and he would have these kind of things, and you know, we, we need to we need to be uh, uh, we need to be you know understanding of this. So Sheikh Uthami summarizes, he goes, so what can we say? Those guys, the Hanbalis, they carried on with this ruling because they said you're connected to the Najasa. Sheikh says, but we will say like in the Hamun Fasilatun Anhu Pilwaka. Wabainahu Fasil Wahua Hadal Habit. Because truthfully, we're completely separate by this role. Is that clear, everybody? Any questions so far with respect to the area then of prayer? Any questions? I'm going to check the as well. Any questions with respect to the um uh the area or the uh, the carrying of Najasa? Yes. Um, uh, what if there's a piece of clothing that is 
So we have an extra piece of clothing, like an extra long thong for some, for example, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if yeah, but so so the question is, is that if you are praying on a large uh, a mat, but you're saying that the corner of the mat when it's najis, that's fine. Then what about if you have a long dress like women's abaya, for example, and it's longer than normal, and a child then sits on that and urine leaks onto it? The ruling is actually separate. Because this is something which is in, in uh, contact with your, you, you as your bed and your clothes. This is your primary covering. And when I say long, I mean extra long, like it's lying on the floor. Like a dupatta which is really long. Can you get that long? <laughs> I mean, I know women have met all these days and they've got some clothes are changing. I was thinking, you know, you think about some bridal gown behavior, man. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, they have that train, isn't it? Listen, even the Sufis are not that my brother, they have a fucking all the way down there. I mean, but, but uh, the, 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 the facts are what? That any clothes which are connected to you that have Najas upon it, even on its extremity, that will not be permissible, the prayer will not be valid. It will be seen as earthy, whatever is clothes. Okay? And the solution to that is that if there is, for example, a aspect of one's clothes that is doused in najasa, then it has to be removed unless it uncovers the aura. And if it uncovers the aura, then you have to stop and then get rid of that clothing and change it for something else. Okay? There's no doubt about that. All right? Anything with respect to the actual clothing and, and so on? Okay. So then let's move to this very interesting mas'ala. The Sheikh says, Woman Ra'a Alihi Najasatan Bahada Salatihi. This is right at the top of 231. Yeah, Ani. Um, oh, sorry, there is a question. How, Farman, uh, it's my boy Farman. How is praying on a mat underneath which there is Najasa different to carrying impurity urine in a container? There is no direct contact with the body in both cases. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, So I'm carrying a urine sample, and you're saying my prayer is invalid. And, and, we're, and, and the nappy, for example, and that's invalid, and the area itself uh, is on top of Najasa, and that's valid. In actual fact, they're completely different. Both scenarios are completely different. One, the carrying the urine sample, you are carrying it physically. You are actually doing a hamal. It is part of you and your person, number one. Number two, the uh, uh, Najasa that you are on has absolutely no connection to you whatsoever because what you are standing on is a clean and separate and uh, uh, distinct, different area. It's not part of your bed, it's not part of you. And the Najasa is actually not even part of your prayer area. It's not even part of your prayer area. Now, Furman is trying to say that if you are basically carrying a, a, a urine in a, in a bottle, that plastic is the barrier and it makes a complete separate uh, separation. It's not just the issue of separation, it's the issue of that we are carrying that as well. It's like the Prophet. There's a direct text to prove this because the Prophet, when Jibreel came to him when he was wearing slippers and he had qadr on it and najasa on it, and Nabi then removed the slippers whilst in the salah, and the rest of the companions did so as well. When the Prophet finished the prayer and asked them why he did that, because you know, and they said, Because you did, and he, he said, well, I was told that I had put the jazz, I, I had stepped in the jazz or whatever, I had dirt on it. 
And so, you know, but you guys were okay. What we learned is that the Najasa itself was actually part of his actual body, or part of his clothing, part of his actual self or being, even though it wasn't directly connected to him. Whereas the area itself, Yani, because then he put the shoes to his left hand side, that does not get affected because that's not part of the direct anything. Allah. Um, and Brian says, what about the bag that you carry due to medical conditions? So uh, a stoma, bag, incontinence bag, and so on, an ostomy, whatever form of the ostomy it is, or even when you are in a hospital with a urine bag. This is a necessity. Okay? And this is where we cannot yani, find a solution. All right? And there are actually some scholars. There are some scholars. And I have to say, I have to say that I'm very sympathetic to this position because I just told you that I don't like to go for haja, darura, fatwa. Okay? If you remember last week, those who were uh, online last week, we spoke about the issue of carrying najasa and how far do you go with that. Okay? Because the body is carrying najasa all the time. All right? And some of the scholars, they did go that far and they said that you got najasa inside you and that causes a problem. And obviously, we've got to just stay slowed up. Because, you know, if you start going down, down that line, then no one can do anything ever at any stage. But it still needs to be dealt with. It sounds really stupid, but it needs to be dealt with because, as I mentioned last week, the rulings then start to flow when it comes to the issue of an embryo and miscarriage. So when it miscarries, when that comes out, we're going to deal with that as Najasa. We're going to stop her praying. The, the blood itself of that, it's not her menstrual blood normative because the menstruation is the uterine wall breaking down here. The uterine wall has developed into the actual womb. So we are in a different yani, creation. We're in a different stage of creation or a different stage of the part of the body. So it's not even yani, immediately obvious that the blood that would come out is Najasa, but it is. And a woman starts, stops praying. So uh, we do have to be aware. We can't just be lazy and we do need to be aware of that. But no one ever said that the Najasa or the Janine or the embryo or the you know, stillborn is a Najas. No one said that. So we do recognize that there are different states at different times of happening inside. So we say that whilst... Uh, so there's a rule I mentioned last week that anything which is inside the self is not given a ruling to. It has no ruling. Okay, that's why we don't give a ruling to the emperor, we don't give a ruling to Najasa, but we give a ruling when it comes outside. So now the people would say, well, the urine has come outside, so we've got to give it a ruling like we would if you went to the toilet and you went to the toilet bowl, you say that's Najasa. Except that this hasn't come outside. The, the bag is replacing his stomach. You understand what I mean? The bag is a pseudo intestine. The bag is a pseudo-bladder. The bag is effectively holding what the person can't hold inside. So in my opinion, I mean, it is an issue of semantics. I'm going to allow it, and the other scholars are going to allow it. They're going to say, it's not being a waste of time. It's allowed. He's got no other choice. That's fine. That's the first one given by Mufti. But I'm saying the Fatih can come to that conclusion using the fact of the fact that that bag is replacing what is his stomach anyway. The answer is the same in both. It is permissible to pray with that bag. Okay, it is permissible to pray with that back. Um, uh, Hamza is saying, just to clarify, we said someone who is carrying a urine sample for the doctor, his prayer is valid. No, no. No, I didn't. I said that a person who is carrying a urine sample must not pray. That's what I said. And likewise, a person who is carrying a, a baby with a dirty nappy also cannot pray. And I specifically said that for mothers that are always approached by a crying child, or rather they have the baby, they're playing with them, and that's fine to keep them calm, and then suddenly the baby does a nappy. When the baby does a nappy, that's when you have to push them away. If they keep coming, you push them away, and you, you, you stop contact. Each time contact occurs, you push them away, 
and then you finish the prayer quickly and then you tend to them. All right. So if you're carrying a baby, then that's not a problem. As soon as you realize it's done a nappy, it gets put down, laid down, whatever. And if a baby has done a nappy and comes to you, then you avoid picking it up because the baby, as I said, it is effectively a bag. It's a bag, that's what it is. Okay. Right. It's much more polite than what Commander Maki would say. He would say, yeah, it's an ugly Najasa bag. That's what he would say to any baby that's, I don't know what age, what's his age limit? He has an age limit. He says that after this age, then they're not ugly anymore. I'm sympathetic for that opinion. Anyway, so let's deal with the issue then of the clothes. If someone now sees uh, Najasa, if one observes filth on himself after the prayer, but was unaware before that it was there, the prayer is not repeated. Okay? Exactly, everybody? So, he's finished the prayer. He's, he's, he's done the prayer. He's finished the prayer. And he then looks, and he looks at his sleeve. A stain. Let's say that he has a child with a nappy. Says, hold on. What's happening here? Okay? It's staying proper onto his clothes. That's what we're going to play with our worked example. What does Sheikh Uthay mean say? He, and by the way, this means either on his hand, it could, it could be a stain on his hand there, or it could be a stain on the uh, thing image sleeve. He goes, the first Ghani uh, scenario, when he sees this, He was unaware that it was there. He was unaware that it was there from the before. That's the most important thing in this first scenario. So it's something that he's noticed afterwards. Okay? Um, then this prayer, okay, it is absolutely fine, and there is no repetition for the prayer. He doesn't, even though there's a possibility right here now that he prayed with the jasa all, all over, you know, through the prayer, he does not repeat the prayer for two main reasons. The first reason, go on, what do you think? What's the first, what's the first reason? Okay, that's the, that's the obvious one, okay? It's because he was unaware, he just didn't know. So if he doesn't know something, how can he be held accountable for something that he doesn't know? Okay? He doesn't know whether that happened before. He doesn't know whether it just happened now. He doesn't know. And because he's looking at it, where the heck's that come from? Right? He doesn't know whether that was there yesterday, or just before the prayer, or it just happened right now. Or And we know, we're not saying that he sees it immediately after the prayer. And even if he does see it immediately after the prayer, he just doesn't know. And when you don't know, you have doubt. And when you have doubt, then doubt never overcomes certainty. And what was certain is that you put on a set period of time ago, clean clothes, you did clean wiggle, and the only way that that clean, clean, uh, state of cleanliness and clean clothes has been broken is with absolute certainty. Not by any, mm, maybe, mm, speculation, doubt, whatever. Can't be done. Okay? Um, and there's an evidence for that as well. The Prophet was approached by a man, okay, and uh, the man said to him that I'm not sure I have a feeling that I have passed wind in the prayer and he and he was confused about it he wasn't sure yani, what do I do do I need to go out and the hadith says uh, 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 he said do I leave the masjid leaving the masjid of course is a phrase for making wudu in the masjid okay so whenever you read this narration either in arabic or translation okay a lot of folks got confused by that actually it's got it's got nothing to do with going out or doing you know rejecting from the jama'ah it means that i need to go out and make wudu again so the prophet said 
you do not leave, you do not leave until you hear a sound of the passing of wind, or you smell something. Okay, okay, or you smell something, and something here obviously has been left in nakira. What means that it doesn't need to be something, you know, it is an indication of something that has happened. I just want to quickly mention something about this hadith. This hadith has been narrated by Bukhari and Muslim. It is authentic. Um, that the illa for breaking wudu is not what the hadith actually suggests. Okay? So people might think that, oh, that's okay then. I can pass wind in the prayer as long as I don't hit, feel, don't hear anything and don't smell anything, then it's okay. Does that make sense? Because the hadith, that's what it says. He goes that you do not go make wudu until you hear something or smell something. All right, and it's very important as Ibn Hajar said that this is a hadith which is not actually intended by its meaning Actually, it means something else. It means certainty That's what the Prophet is basically saying you do not make wudu unless you are absolutely certain Because the sound will be something that will be bring certainty or the smell will bring certainty But if there was no smell and there was no sound, but you are absolutely certain that wind has passed Then you have to make wudu. You have to you don't say but the hadith doesn't say that that, that makes that, that makes uh, that makes sense. So, because of this, then we learn the principle that if there is anything of uncertainty, then you do not need to break the you do not you know, repeat wudu. So, in this scenario, we said he didn't know. What's the second reason? What's the second reason that this person does not repeat the prayer? No. Think. When is he seeing this? Okay. Which means that what? Yeah. The, the, the prayer is finished. The action is finished. When the action is finished, the action is finished. Yeah, and when you're seeing something which is after the action, then how do you even know that it was actually even there or not there? The action is gone. And Shah makes a point, a good point. He says that if there's a person, for example, who um, has doubt, about how many rakah he did in Asr, three or four, then that's something which is fixed in the prayer and fixed in the immediate aftermath of the, the prayer, like in the immediate seconds after the prayer. It's not something that if you then get home, okay, or one hour later you're sitting there, you don't sit there and think, hmm, did I do three or I do four? You'll be a wreck. You'll be, you'll be destroyed. If you start thinking like that, that's what exactly what brings waswasa. And whenever we are counseling folks on waswasa, these are the kind of things we tell them. Any just any silly questions? Okay, ignore them. We are, are, are people who act upon certainty. It, I mean, this this that this maxim is one of the most blessed maxims on uh, yeah, that you'll ever come across in life. It makes things very very easy, and it cures a lot of people from something which is a real big problem for people: OCD and the various forms of doubt, and just the basic form of bosphosa as well. Okay, the second scenario. Okay, the second scenario is that this person did know. Okay, did know that the the is there. So this is the translation of the part. Meaning that, however, if he knew that that najasa was there, and then later forgot or didn't understand it, the prayer must be repeated. So he knew, so he saw it, maybe before the prayer. And then so he looked at it, he goes, oh man, okay, I've got to watch it, then the phone call comes, standard, gets involved the phone call, puts the phone call down, then starts a prayer, because he's forgotten now what's happened. Uh, or he sees it, and then he goes to wash it, 
and then you know he forgets to wash it he's actually in the process but then he washes his hands he doesn't wash the air or he forgets about it yeah, and it was in a prayer or he notices it in the prayer but the thing is is that it has happened and he was at some kind of fault for forgetting not realizing not understanding what does not understanding mean sorry not understanding means that he's in the prayer and he sees it so he's there on the prayer and he's like that and he looks down and he sees his he sees his death so what does he see let's imagine I mean, we were struggling with this one last week as well. But let's imagine someone has just put some feces there. The bed dropping is not any impure, according to many scholars. But that's why we don't want to use that as an example. Let's say human kind of uh, uh, example. Okay, so um, that's there now, and he looks at it, and he is not sure what happens. So last week I mentioned that if he shakes it and it falls off. Then something which is just completely dry, you know, like been heated and completely dry, doesn't transfer any moisture. Then it has not made anything digestive. Okay, personally, I know it sounds like you know gross, but the person could pick it up and throw it off. And as long as there's no, you know, your hands are not sweaty, not wet, and nothing comes across, because it's moisture which transfers digestive. It's very important as a ruling. And drying, there's nothing at all. Okay. Um, so let's assume that a person finds something there, but doesn't know the ruling. And so he carries on with the prayer. This is what the, the, the text means. Then afterwards, he's then told, what are you talking about, bro? You had to get rid of that. You had to cut the prayer and wash it off. Or you had to extract. So that's what it means. He saw it, but didn't understand it. So that's what the translation means, and that's what the Arabic means. Okay? So let's examine this, then, what Sheikh Uthameen now says about that. He says, um, uh, what does he say? So he also then gives all these examples. And... Uh, actually, let's, let's, let, let, let's actually read what he says because it's, he puts it into a nice order. He goes, okay, so we have a person. So in the first example, a man, he prays. As soon as he gives salam, he finds upon his own thobe dry najas. He's absolutely positive, positive, that it happened before the prayer because he hasn't moved and he's inside the room. Nothing's fallen down upon him. So he's seen that definitely happened before the prayer impossible that it happened inside the prayer okay or after the prayer and what's the second characteristic here he didn't know about it until he saw after the prayer is that clear he didn't know about it until he saw after the prayer that's the first example okay he says that Shemitamin says ignorance can be divided into three Categories when it comes to this person. Yeah, and what does ignorance mean, or what are the parameters of ignorance or being ignorant? Yeah, and as a ruling compared to this example, he goes the first one that that he would know that the najasa is on his skin or on his uh, 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 clothes, not knowing about it. The second form of ignorance would be that he does know that it's there in the prayer, like I just mentioned. But he doesn't know that is this yani from the najasa that is prohibited. So, for example, bird dropping. If bird if it drops on him and he says, well, oh, oh, never mind. Yeah? Because, you know, people are being yani, pooped on all the time. I think it happens regularly here, right? You guys have so many birds in this See it happen once? You guys follow football? Soccer? 
if you go to soccer, there's a footballer, yeah, and he plays for my team. His name's Ashley Young. Yeah. He was running along the pitch, and the camera is on him. <laughs> and he goes, and a bird coming there right in his mouth. <laughs> and he's, and he's, and he's on, with a live game. My God, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Literally, the funniest and the craziest thing I've ever seen was skin straight in. Alhamdulillah, wasn't praying, but anyway. Okay. Um, so, yeah. I just wanted to just uh, pause and just yeah, make sure that I don't lose the track yet. So, the chef says that um, I, we give three examples of the of, of, of jihad. The first scenario is a guy who's found his uh, uh, found the najasa upon his clothes. Yes, he's absolutely sure that it happened before. What he was jihad about is that it was there during the prayer. He saw it afterwards. So that's what he was jihad about. It being there during the prayer, but he's seen it after the prayer is finished. But the difference here is that he knows for certain, a hundred percent certainty, that it happened before. What's ruling on this person? The, the exact Hanbali text is he has to repeat the prayer. That's what we're saying, right? That's what we're explaining. The text. The Hanbali say that this person he knew it. If he knew that it's from before, the prayer has to be repeated. Because why? Why? Yeah, and certain that, and because he was certain, what does that mean has happened? Yeah. So what has happened, therefore? Yeah. And what has he contradicted? The condition of maintaining purity throughout the prayer. Okay, because he knew that it happened before, so that's why the prayer is invalid. That's the humbleies. That's the first scenario with the first type of jahil. The second type of jahil is a person and. He is, as I said, he doesn't know what the ruling is. So this is a guy who prays and he doesn't know about when it happened or not. But in the prayer itself, okay, he sees this place, all right, and he sees, he sees this, he sees, he sees in the second type of jahad, he looks at it, sees the impurity right there and says, right, hold on, what does that look like? That's not brown, it's white. So that's not normal feces or urine. So I'm not even sure what that is. Maybe a bird pooped on it. I didn't. I'm not too sure. Okay. He doesn't know whether it is prohibited. So he carries on. So this person, So then afterwards he finds out. Afterwards he finds out when he asks the sheikh. Sheikh says to him, that is najasa. Your, your, your prayer is now invalid. According to the Hanbalis, prayer is invalid. He was jahil of what? He was jahil of his ruling. He didn't know when it happened or not happened, whatever. He saw it in the prayer, and his jahil was one of being unaware of the ruling of the najasa. The first guy, his jahil was being unaware of that it actually happened to him in the uh, that it was there on uh, during the prayer. The third is a thalith an ya'ala mujudha fi salah, lakin la yadri anna izalatuha shartun li sihatu salah. Yani, he goes, the first, the, the third scenario is a person who knows that it's there in the prayer, but he doesn't know that you need to remove najasa for the prayer to be authentic. Difference between the two and the three is that. Yeah? So in the second scenario, the jahil was, 
is that he didn't know whether that is najis or not. Okay? Because it was white, he doesn't know. Is that najis? Is that is, is bird poop najis or not? And the third example is not about the fact that he knows. He knows that it's najis. So he knows that was on my skin. Oh, oh my God, that's Yanni so-and-so's poop. Yanni, when I picked him up, and that's najis. But he doesn't know that you have to have that removed for the prayer to continue. Do you understand what I mean? Okay? So that's the, the third scenario. Sheikh says, يعني, In all of these three يعني, examples, the Hanbalis obligate upon this person to repeat the prayer. The Hanbalis obligate upon these people. Why? Because they did not fulfill the condition of purity and they were all in touch with Najasa. They had not prevented themselves from touching. Um, then he says, يعني, For example, يعني, these people, they saw the, the, the najasa, but then they did not يعني, remember to remove it, and then after the salam, they realized. Also, exactly the same, he needs to repeat the prayer because he prayed whilst he was impure, and he should have stopped it when he absolutely knew. Sheikh Uthami then says, the correct position is that none of these people repeat the prayer. And this is the correct position, and this has been my position, it is the class position, and this is known famously as a position of Ibn Taymiyyah. Okay? And Ibn Taymiyyah, I just want to put to you guys, was one of them. And what I just mentioned, by the way, is a position, sorry, the Hanbali school is actually the position of all the schools. Okay? And this is the position of the majority of scholars. And I think that you can see they make sense as well. That's why it was held by the majority of scholars. Okay? But Ibn Taymiyyah came and rocked the boat on that one. He was not alone. There were some members of the Salaf Yani early that also held this position. And Ibn Taymiyyah's position, which was then held by a number of contemporary scholars, and as I said, is the class position, is based simply upon the following uh, two evidences. And the first is that um, there is no repeating of any kind of act of worship, uh, when, uh, uh, whether he has forgotten, whether he didn't realize what the nature was, whether he realized the nature was but unaware of the ruling, whether he was unaware of actually what, what Najasa even means, whether he remembered it, whether he forgot to wash it or not, or whether this was before the prayer, he saw it before the prayer, he saw it after the prayer, all of this involves some kind of jahil. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Shaykh Uthameen says at the top of page 233, has given us al 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 a general but brilliant and incredible uh, uh, maxim where he says, That a soul does not bear any burden more than it can actually bear, and it will have what it earns, and it will only be held accountable for what it does. And then make this dua, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying effectively, say, my Lord, do not hold us to account for that which we forget and for that which we do mistakenly. And of course, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us to make the dua and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also responded and said that I have accepted your dua as well. Yani, I want to say something to you guys, because obviously this week, this weekend is going to be a tafsir class. And um, it's a class which is well attended wherever it's gone. And I'll tell you what I, th what I think the reason is. And I think that the reason is not uh, just that class, but actually all tafsir. Because I think people really, really struggle in their own private kind of capacity to connect with the Qur'an. Okay? And I think everyone is just struggling. And everyone realizes that, especially kind of, you know, our uh, Western kind of, you know, uh, uh, non-Arabic speaking kind of folks, or non-classical Arabic 
with a bit of knowledge, yani speaking folks. When the Quran is read, it is read in a ritualistic way and everyone feels very, very bad and guilty. Okay? They don't feel that bad or guilty about not knowing about Mu'amalat or they don't feel that bad or, or that guilty about not, falling, not knowing about the fiqh of death, etc., etc. But the Quran, they really feel it, especially when they pick it up and it's like something extra and they read it and they cannot connect with it whatsoever. And, um, and that's why it's good that we have to see classes and to see videos and so on and so forth. But I'll tell you one thing. This problem is actually really, really easily simplified. Okay? Really, really easily simplified and then solved by just one simple fact. And it always blew my mind. And if you are studying fiqh right now, it will help you right here as well. And that is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent down this book to you. Not just to read, but telling you to read it and telling you what to ask him and telling you that he's going to give it as well. Yani when you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this kind of supporter role as opposed to this kind of director role. Okay? Because we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the hakim, as al-munzil, as the one who sends it, as the one who is the yani, judging and so on, which of course he is subhana. But what we don't see him and what we don't see his book as is caught our backs. Okay, yes, yes, it can be very dangerous as well. That's why we make the dua, yani make this Quran, yani hujjatan lana wa la alina. Make it evidence for us, for us and not against us. And I can tell you, I can tell you that yes, it is our fault, yani, you know, the, 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 the misery, doom and gloom bring us, yani, okay that we are always yani, shouting and yani, threatening and so on and so forth with the Qur'an in our khutbahs and our, you know, and our keynote speeches and so on and so forth because we have to you know, believe that anger is the primary kind of, uh, uh, anger is the primary motivator that is going to elicit a response in a non-practicing people. And that is our perception. It's not, ba it's not baseless. The Prophet would get angry often. He would recite Qur'an often. But I do believe that the Prophet used the Qur'an far more in a hopeful manner and that we, should be uh, seeing the Quran, even though we make this dua, and even though we know that there is a major problem of people yeah, who turn away from the, the Quran, I think we should be using the Quran and seeing it as it has our backs all the time. And when we come across an ayah like this, let me give you the different, let me, let me give you the example of a person who's not connecting with the Quran, or has been burnt by the Quran, yeah, and a negative, because of negativity, and a person who sees the Quran in a very positive sense, and is living the Quran. When you read this verse, and you have group one, you're always thinking that that's yani, applicable to some other nation that came before, yani, thousands of years before. Or that this is yani, relevant to the companions only. Or this is relevant to some other people. Habibi, this is relevant for me. I don't care if you guys only use it, I'll use it. You know what I'm saying? It's like when I, when I read this, and I see Sheikh Basemin using it, I'm saying, you know what? You don't have to repeat. You don't have to repeat. You don't have to do this. You're okay with that. You're, you've been let off. I'm, you know what I'm thinking? I'm saying that Sheikh Uthameen is like such a greedy kind of guy. He's like, if you guys are not going to connect, and you guys are not going to use it, and you guys are not are going to ignore it, and you guys are going to think this is a, a verse of theory that only applies, well, I'm going to use it. You know what I'm saying? You guys, you know, knock yourselves out. Well, I'm, I, I'm all over this. So, honestly, when I, when I read him and I've seen him use it before, I see the way that he speaks about this, he feels like he feels so connected to this verse. Like he really lives this verse. It's like he really understands. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent it down for me to use for myself, to use for my students, for me to use it as a tool to allow people to chill in a difficult scenario. 
These are not people yeah, no one goes into a prayer intentionally wanting to pray with Najasa knowing that it's not allowed to wear something for Najasa. I forgot. Or if I went in and I tried to do my best, I made wudu, I did ghusl, I did a class, whatever, but that teacher, he didn't tell me about bird food. Or he didn't tell me about X. And I had it on the thing, I wasn't sure, but I thought it was okay. Yeah, that's a mistake. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, we know we don't put logic against Allah, but He has told us that, and here's a killer. Not only has He told us, He told you to make dua to Him to say this, and if you say it, then I'm going to give it to you as well. It's like He's giving it away for free. It's not like He's just telling you. He's saying that this is yours, right? And we're the ones ignoring it and thinking, you know, and we're taking the hard options and we're taking, you know, we're going really, really, you know, I understand that we need to be legal and careful and so on. But I'm telling you, man, Sheikh Uthameen, you know, the reason people love him is they always, he saw, they always saw him as someone who made the deen easy without selling out. Because making deen easy is associated with selling out, isn't it? <coughs> or being liberal, or being someone who's been bought, or someone who's, you know, trying to keep his paymasters happy, or, you know what I'm trying to say? And I, I get that, I get that. But um, the difference with Sheikh Uthameen, in truth, is that he makes the deen easy, and he is absolutely hardcore down the middle. Yeah, and he's sticking to the rules, not flapping around. And that's when you understand when we're trying to express to other people, this thing really is easy. And fiqh does make yeah, things easy for people and not more difficult. So that's yeah, the specific evidence. Sheikh, he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this man, he was either forgetful or he didn't know. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has removed yani, the accountability from him and there is nothing which is requested from this guy. We do not want anything from him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not requesting this person to do anything. He made a mistake or forgot something, that's it. He goes, well, he goes, this also, he goes, this is a general evidence. It's a general qaida that we use to get out of many scenarios. Yeah. He goes, but well, we also have a specific evidence as well. The specific evidence which I actually already uh, mentioned is the Messenger of Allah sallam, he prayed in his slippers and on them there was a, a, a najasa and Jibreel told him and he did not make him repeat the prayer all started again and he said if the prayer is not invalidated at the beginning of the prayer then the rest of the prayer is also not invalidated the rest of the prayer is not uh, invalidated Sheikh then says he goes what if someone then turns around and says to us okay then, he goes, okay, then according to your logic, Sheikh, he's questioning, you know, he's putting the devil's advocate. He's saying that what if someone then says to you, that means that if a person doesn't make wudu or forgets to make wudu or doesn't know you need to make wudu and prays, then that's okay. So answer your question. What's the ruling on a person who forgets to make wudu or doesn't make wudu? Salah is invalid and he has to repeat the prayer. So it's a good question. There's a contradiction there, isn't there? There's a contradiction. No? We're making that guy pray again. He forgot to make wudu. Yes? We're making him pray again. Absolutely. If he says, I prayed all five prayers like that, all five prayers has to be prayed again. We found that he was wearing a jazz step on his clothes, which is an absolutely clear prohibition. Okay? And we're saying now you're right. What's the difference? 
Yeah. No? Because there's, a, there's specific evidence that you need to hold for the salah. Okay. There's specific evidence that you're not allowed to carry najasa. Yeah. Go. Some knowledge needs to be known by everyone. This is fundamental knowledge. That argument's a good one. That there's a difference between key knowledge for the Ain or Ma'lum or whatever. Yani, your argument is that some knowledge is fundamental and other minor knowledge is not so, and therefore we can kind of be easy on that. That's not the case. So is avoiding Najasa. That's why we are called, that's why we're covering the conditions of the prayer in the chapter of the prayer. And we've said that without them, the prayer cannot even be established. So they're fundamental to the prayer. It's almost like they're part of the prayer. But they are before, yeah. Because there's evidence, uh, there's strong evidence of, uh, and, uh, So that's the same argument. You're saying that one is more established, another one is like a lesser. No, but there's nothing that the Prophet saw as not, uh, that, that he did pray and didn't have to do. There's no... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, you're, what you're trying to say is that we have nothing from the Prophet where he didn't have wudu and prayed uh, and he then repeat, not repeat the prayer kind of thing. Yeah, but that argument could be refuted by we don't have an evidence that that didn't happen as well. Does someone want to say? As far as I know, as far as I know, I cannot remember a hadith where the Prophet was in that scenario. Um, we have the evidence of him not starting the prayer and then going to make wudu, actually ghusl, alright? But that's different. Shaykh Uthameen says the following, it's very interesting. He said the answer is because to leave out wudu is to leave out something which has been obligated. Whereas, yeah, because wudu is a ma'mur bihi, something which is obligatory and has been absolutely requested from insan upon a way of obligation. When najasa to shaykh manhiyun whereas najasa is something which is prohibited. So we have two separate categories of reality. That which is you are commanded to do, ma'mur bihi, and manhiyun that which you are prohibited from. Okay? And I wrote about this on Facebook and yes, a couple of years ago, and I wanted to post it again as well because it's something which many people forget. And there's a lot of benefits in this issue. I, I might do it tomorrow or today. Even. Um, I'll tell you why it's so important because more people sin. So, sorry, many people who sin, they start to lose um, hope. And they then leave that which they are obligated. And we need to help these people and explain to them that these are two actually. Although they're, although they're spiritually and holistically connected, but legally they're unconnected. But not only legally are they unconnected or disconnected or separate, but actually throw the baby out of the, you know, the bathwater, as we say, okay? If we completely, like, you know, and this is what happens. A person starts falling into sin, falls into zina, falls into clubbing, music, blah, blah, whatever he falls into. And he starts to say, well, I'm the worst, I'm a munafiq, I'm a dog, I'm this, I can't believe it. I, I, again, I feel ashamed now to make wudu, I feel ashamed to pray, I feel whatever. And the thing is, is that actually this thing, right, is recoverable and this is not recoverable. 
to leave the obligations is not, or to leave that which you are commanded to, you cannot recover from that. It is virtually like, you know, it's all over. Whereas doing something which is prohibited always can recover from that. And that's the example of Iblis and Adam alayhi salam. It's the big Yani comparison. And Adam alayhi salam did something which was prohibited and he made tawbah and he came back to the very, very best. In fact, he was better than ever before. And Iblis, he did not do what was obligated. And yes, he didn't seek tawbah, but the main thing is the obligation. And there's always a way back. And that's why I always say, and you'll hear me for use this phrase again and again and again, always stay in the game. Always stay in the game. I don't care how much you're sinning. I don't care how much of a person you are. I don't care how evil you are. I don't care how difficult the prayer is. Don't abandon it entirely. We all know that, uh, we all know, subhanAllah, that Fajr is difficult. We all know that Isha late yani, in the summertime is difficult. And you might yani, slip and you might miss. But if you start to say, I've missed that one and I'll sack off now this, that I'm not worthy of the others, then you are just being played like a fiddle by shaitan. Because that's exactly what he did and he lost out. He's going to make you lose out as well. I'm saying to you that it's haram for a scholar, haram for any Muslim to say to another person, you know what, you're weak. I know you're weak. And you only pray one a day. That's haram. You can never say that. It's not your deen to say that to someone else. But what you can say to another person is to don't give up on whatever you can do. I know that we're trying to say, we're saying the same thing, but is there zameen asman farak about what I'm saying? Yani this way and that way. There I'm taking law position into my own hands and trying to make it out that I have the right to say that you don't need to pray. Or you know, we say to someone who's struggling with hijab, you don't need to wear hijab. I spoke about this in class, I wrote about this as well. It's completely haram. You know, people were going around telling, you know, uh, uh, this, this was that story of some, some guy, yeah, and he thinks he has knowledge and says to a person who comes to him, uh, you know, that I'm struggling with my hijab and I don't have it now, whatever. Okay, take it off, no worries. I don't want to take it off. Okay, take it off and you'll become strong one day and then you'll put it back on again. Okay? And then the person then uh, came back, you know, six months later and in hijab. Uh, I want to thank you so much. And, you know, now that the, the example is given then that, you see, this is wisdom. You know, he's writing to the, to the, to the course. This is the wisdom of the teacher. You need to be able to let people, yani, get some steam off whatever. This is not, it's not only this haram, not only this person jahil, but what he did is haram, but if he goes, and if he goes into kufr as well, he has not the right to say to anyone who's struggling or difficult, and we are more aware of the people who are struggling and difficult, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help them and forgive them, but we will not say to them that hijab is not follow, or hijab is not applicable upon you. We will say that we understand your situation, and you just try your best. And no one's here to judge you, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a ghafur rahim but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's deen will not be changed, and you will, inshallah, you will change. You will yeah, you'll get stronger. But this obligation remains, and you just carry on doing what you can. Keep fighting. That's what you meant to say. Because it's not your right to say that. You can take this off and that off and do this and that. Okay. So, anyway, it's very important that this is staying in the game. So, back to the point. The wudu to do is obligated. The najasa to stay away from is prohibited. And the person is requested to leave it. To leave yani, the prohibition. He's requested to leave the prohibition. Now, finish on this point. Okay, um, it's not possible. It's not possible to do a qiyas because that was the question. The first question was, can we make an analogy then, and then therefore say that a person then who makes wudu or doesn't make wudu, then he also can pray and it's not a problem. We said we can't make the the, the qiyas. It's qiyas, but 
because in the both scenarios, one is obligated to do, one is prohibited. Once you've done the thing which is prohibited, there's nothing more to do. You've done it. Whereas if you did not do which is obligated, you still have to obligate, uh, obligatorily do it. So there's completely two different categories, even though they feel like the same. And that's why it's so important to be able to go into detail and look at the nuts and bolts behind the issue to understand the fiqh. Okay? Um, so anyway, and Sheikh says, so be very careful about this difference. He goes, He goes, and he goes into an example. Obviously, the Hanbalis, they believe that uh, uh, camel meat is something which is uh, breaking the wudu. Okay? And some scholars do believe that. I know it's not my class position, but there are scholars that believe that. He goes, so there, if there is a person um, who ate the camel meat and he did not know that it breaks wudu and he prayed, okay, um, then he finds out, then he has to repeat the prayer. Sheikh Uthameen says he has to repeat the prayer. Why does he really need to repeat the prayer? That what? Correct, correct. Because it's correct. Because he goes, this is different from the Najasa, this is Ma'murbihi. You have been obliged to not eat camel meat. And therefore, you are leaving an obligation. And as he said, that's like leaving Wudu. And so, in this case, he will make it up. Obviously, for us, it's not a problem. Anyway, he says, this is position Shaykh al-Islam, and that's it. He goes, this is also, what we just said, is also a riwayah from Imam Ahmed himself. It's not the madhab, okay? It's not the madhab, meaning the madhab is very clear. If you do all of these scenarios, you have to repeat the prayer. You have to repeat the prayer. But there is a narration from Imam, Imam Ahmed that said that he does not need to repeat the prayer. And this is common, as we said before, Imam Ahmed will have behind some narrations which are completely any opposite to each other. You know, you can understand if you've got like, you know, a little bit of variation. But in one, he's saying that you repeat the prayer, and the other one he's saying that he doesn't repeat the prayer. Anyway, that's the position of the Taymiyyah, and that is our lesson today. So we'll now do questions, okay? We've got quite a few um, uh, things uh, here. What do we have? How about a baby toddler who has pooped in his diaper and either crawls over or walks over and sits on your prayer rug and would not move from you in the middle of the prayer? Okay, that's good, all right? Yeah, I mean, that's a good example. Here, as long as you don't touch the baby, you're okay. All right? The idea is if you were to push the baby away and this kind of stuff, that's not a problem. But if you're carrying the baby and holding the baby and picking up the baby, that's where the problem is. And the baby's sitting on the side. I mean, what you would do here is what we all do when children are, are praying, okay? What do you do? Pick it up, one, two bounce, kick it for a total ball. <laughs> so what you, what you do is you lean over and you hold the baby and you push it to the side. And that's it. Okay, you're allowed to touch the baby itself to move the najasa. It's like the act of taking the chapel off. It's like the act of flicking the jasa off. That's drying and so on. So the baby would be moved if you are unable to prostrate except to prostrate on the baby effectively. So you just move the kid out of the way. Okay. Um, and then the other question was would you then, following on from what you said, allow a person to carry a urine sample that has been obtained in a way in which it has not been released from the private parts? Oh, wait, you blow my mind. Would you then, following on from what you said, allow a person to carry a urine sample that has been obtained in a way in which it has not been released via the private parts? By the penis, i.e., from another method, if that is even possible. Actually, I don't understand even what that means. Is he referring to the stoma bag and taking it from the stoma? 
He's taking it from the colostomy bag. Right? So he's saying, no, 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 I wouldn't. No, okay, I, I, I get what he's trying to say. No, uh, uh, always. Because that ruling of the urine is, if that's what you want, if that's what I'm understanding, then the urine that is in the bag, and I said that's at the ass for his stomach, that is when it's in the bag. But when it comes out of the bag, then the ruling on the urine is like when it comes out of your stomach. Or your bladder. Yeah. Okay, all right, those questions are done. All right, from here, guys. Yeah. What about the, if you have a, uh, a child and you urinate on the carpet that you pray at home? Yes. And how do you purify that uh, for a baby girl as opposed to a baby boy? So, yeah, so a baby girl or a baby boy who's eaten, same way. You just wash it. That's it. That's it. You don't need to be any specific times, any specific manner, any whatever. You just got to get it clean. And clean is not by smell. Clean is yeah, I mean, as best as possible with respect to whatever you're using, physically. Okay? Yeah. What about praying in a park where veneer is being used What about praying in a car or praying in the park? park. Yeah, you mean on the grass? Yeah. What well, the problem being that they might be something hidden? No, veneer is being used as fertilizer or So if it is in an area where there is fertilizer, then that should be avoided. But we're going to be covering that in a bit of detail. Uh, in maybe next week or week after next. Okay? Yeah. You said that, um, I'm just wondering what, I mean, you're uh, in a container. Yes. What, what is like the allowed degree of the brain? Suppose you want to play, play in an RV and it's like, Najasa is like in the RV where, you know. Yes, I get it. I get it. So what you're saying is, so first of all, let me just make it clear that, you know, this whole idea of urine samples and carrying whatever, this is not obviously the fiqh, yani, this is our modern application. Yeah? Uh, 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 yani, I just want people to be aware that carrying najasa means, yani, pulling it, pushing it, yani, being connected to you in a direct fashion. Okay. Um, the uh, RV, or like a big caravan, all right, it goes by urf. So for example, if there is an understanding that that is a separate area, then it's a separate area. Then it's fine. That's basically how it is. So it might be, like you know some of the hotels today, right? They don't have doors anymore. Uh, the, the, the hotel, the, the toilet, I mean. Toilets, they don't have doors. Or they have sliding doors. Or they have like glass. It's like some stupid glass table nonsense. I don't know who's designed it. Allah is crazy. Allah is crazy. So what do you do? Yani, can you pray in the bedroom? Yes, you can. Yani, even if you can have smell coming from the bathroom, or you can see the bathroom, or let's imagine that you're there with your partner and you can see them in the bathroom. Okay? Or, or, or how would it work? What happens here is that the earth takes over to understand what is your living space. Despite this attempt to make it all some kind of, you know, modern, you know, one space, living space, whatever it's called. Yeah? If there's still a clear, I'm in bedroom or I mean, whatever, and that's still the bathroom. And so that's okay. So likewise, if there's a shelf and it's over there, that does not affect what you're doing over here. Okay? How would you exit the prayer if you realize you have not done wudu? You just exit. We're gonna be covering that later on this year. You do not need to do any salam or anything. As soon as you know that you don't have wudu, your prayer is broken anyway. You do not go as-salamu alaykum You don't say anything, you just walk off. Depending upon where you are, if you're in the middle of the prayer, and you know you just pass wind, then I suggest that you you know scream or something and hold your nose and imagine like it's all bleeding and you're dying or something just to protect your own face. Yeah, I mean you know what I'm saying. That's, that's just that's 
That's not a shiny requirement. That's for your own best. I'm saying. What about when the toddler with a soiled di diaper uh, just climbs on you or attaches him himself, and you can't shake him off? What do you mean you can't shake him off? <laughs> what kind of nonsense is that? You can shake off a kid, man. <coughs> Come on, bro. Come on, Nasheen, bro. Nasheen's having a laugh. She's a tough girl, man. She's a haji, and she's tough. But obviously what she means is that kids are getting clingy, isn't it? Yeah, and they're clinging, and they're clinging, and they're clinging. So you just keep pushing away, keep pushing away, keep pushing away. And I think what needs to happen is a judgment call needs to be made where you felt you made so much movement that your prayer is over. But the legality of the prayer is still there. If you keep pushing a person away, you're still in the prayer, it's still okay. It's, there's going to come a point where you think, man, this was, this, 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 I've just lost all semblance of what I was saying or doing. Then, but I very am very loath to tell people that. I hate more than anything to tell people to leave the prayer when their prayer goes bad. Because once you open that door, people start then giving themselves new reasons to leave the prayer. I wasn't a great prayer. I thought of my mom. I thought of my work. I thought of my ex. I thought of my dad. You know, you, know, you start to this was worse. Then that's it. Shaitan's good over you. Don't ever give him that first chance. Always stay in the prayer. Okay? But there's no doubt that if there's, you know, you're literally having a fight, he pulls off the hijab, and then you slap the kid, get the hijab back, hijab's back. And the kids will love you, then you know, smears you, poop, whatever. There's gonna be, there's, there's gonna be a cut off, you know, where you say, Khalas, you won. We'll just yeah, call it, you know, call it quits for that. <laughs> right, we'll just take a few more questions and then we will call it. For salah. Yeah. After you, so you're saying there's a person, they're not sure if they made, if, they, if, they, if they're in wudu for the prayer. So they say, I'm going to make wudu. Yes? They go to the bathroom to make wudu. They made wudu. Oh, okay, all right. So then, then the next thing that they remember, they can't remember whether they made wudu or not. After they definitely went to the bathroom. And then, what are you saying? Then they stand before the prayer or after the prayer now? Right. So now they're standing for the prayer. And they're saying to themselves, what did I do? Yeah, so they've got to obviously make a judgment call. Okay. I have to say that we did cover this. And in a, there is actually a lot of detail. It's actually quite complicated. Okay. And it's all based upon what was the state of the person before the act, before the idea and the doubt came. And the final ruling is based upon the state that one was in before the actual act was meant to happen. And there's a number of scenarios and a number of options and you choose it and it's in the lp notes i think from year five or year four to answer your question simply okay once you know you've gone to the bathroom and once you know that you do not go to the bathroom except to make wudu because that's the only thing you did and you went for then that's your assumption that's your assumption because i'm assuming that person is going to look around and use their brain yeah and their clothes see the wet sleeves if not Go and have a look at the towel, see it when. That's what they have to do. But if they did everything and it's inconclusive, like they know that other people have been using the bathroom, so it's wet because of them, and you can't work it out, then you assume that you've made wudu because that's what you knew that you definitely didn't have, and then you went to go and do it, and you're sure you went and did it, but you can't be sure. So once you've gone and made that move, then you, that's fine. If you are not sure you not, didn't make that move, you are not in wudu because you are certain that you were not in wudu before. 
But if you are certain that you made wudu, end the thingy, but then can't remember actually what happened, then you go upon that, but that certainty. Like I said, there's a number of scenarios. It gets a bit messy. Yes. This is only if it, uh, the, the issue about camel meat and then eating it, not knowing that it breaks the wudu, and then finding out that it does, and then repeating the prayer, is only if you are a humbly and you follow that opinion. This is a minority opinion. Yeah, that you had the jaza. Correct. That's exactly the reason why it was mentioned. It's different from the, from those. It, yes. No, no. You do repeat the prayer. Okay, that's why Sheikh Uthameen gave the example of the camel meat. He said that if you did not make wudu and afterwards realized you didn't have wudu, you have to make wudu. Why? Because you left an obligation. He then said that's the same for camel meat. Why? Because you left an obligation. And he said it's not the same for the najasa upon the thing. Why? Because you were unaware and or because you left that which was a prohibition. Yeah? Or you, sorry, you did that which was a prohibition. Any other questions? Okay, exactly, guys. So, inshallah, we'll see you on Friday um, uh, for uh, University of uh, Toronto. Yeah, is there any other thingy? Oh, the Earth Science is building. I've been there before. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've been there before. And uh, the next year, next week's lesson is going to be 8.30, which is 3.30. That's uh, right, 8.50 uh, UK time, which is uh, uh, 3.50 EST and Canadian. And Eastern and all that kind of stuff. Okay, folks. Is it? Yeah. Okay, don't get me confused here. You know this. Okay, Barakallahu Fiq. Okay, Shaz, we're done. Zakmullah. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. We're gonna do salah, folks. Okay, don't run off. Okay, salah al-asr.